Fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. John Ryder, welcome into the program. It is the post-Monday celebration, baby, the greatest day of the entire week, and boy, there is some... I shake my head at times. I truly do. The media cannot get stupider if they even tried. And I'm not saying that to be mean or angry or derogatory. They just If you fall for this crap, if this is the focus that you have, then you have nothing else to talk about or you don't want to talk about things that are extremely important. What the hell, man? What, where did they come up with these stories? Could you at least try to be a little bit more creative in covering the breaking news of the day? Good golly. Welcome into the show. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country. Multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. What's up? Welcome aboard your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. Bottom of the hour, Annalisa Peshik. She is a contributor to The New American. We've had her on many times before. We love having her on the show. She is one of the best in investigative research and diving deep into stories to really understand what the heck's going on. We'll get her on at the bottom of the hour. The Democrat platform of radicalism, the January 6th indictments that are happening, the attempt to say that the biggest threat to democracy is, of course, the MAGA Republican. Where does that all fit in right now? We'll get into that at the bottom of the hour. That fits into kind of the big story of the day that all the media is covering. If you've listened to talk radio, if you've listened to news at all today, you know the big story has been this big truck, this U-Haul that's crashed into the barrier. And I use crashed a very light term with my open air uh, quotation marks here on the radio for our radio listeners. This uh, U-Haul truck that's crashed into the barriers of the White House in an attempt to try to attack President Joe Biden. Now... Now, I want to be very clear because we are not going to spend a lot of time on this because if this is the headline of the day, then this is the biggest distraction that I have ever seen in my entire life. And it is a pathetic, weak-minded, very uh, lack of in-depth thought process, that you know, lack of thought-out um, mindset from the mainstream media to cover this news story. For those that may not have heard of this yet... If you haven't listened to any other show throughout the day, a 19-year-old has been arrested. This is according to NBC News. A 19-year-old has been arrested on multiple charges after crashing into barriers near the White House. The suspect, now after the media said we don't know who this is, probably has something to do with uh, republicanism, of radicalism, of extremists, of the January 6th individuals who are just starting to get out of jail, probably has to do and associate with that crowd, especially with the fact It is a U-Haul that when they opened it up, found a Nazi flag in the back of the U-Haul. Because obviously, like we've said so many times before, being the mainstream media, that obviously fascism and Nazism comes from Republicans, Donald Trumpism, and the right side of the aisle. Now, (laughs) Now, after they arrested the individual, we found out he wasn't a white supremacist. He's probably not a Nazi. If so, that's a very weird correlation, but I guess anything's possible. But the suspect identified as 19-year-old Saeed Varshith Vankula, Vandula, sorry, made the threatening statements to the White House on the scene on Monday night's incident. A law enforcement official told NBC the Nazi flag was seized 
by authorities as well. The charges against Candula for allegedly, quote, threatening to kill, kidnap, or inflict harm on a president, vice president, or a family member stem from the statements that he made on multiple law enforcement agencies, according to the Secret Service representative. I don't, again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because this is the dumbest story I've ever seen in my entire life. The individual did not crash into the barrier. Apparently, he was coasting at less than five miles an hour and bumped into the barrier, which obviously security thought would be an attack, which rightfully so. They should take that as a potential harm. Bumped into it at a very low speed of uh, to a very low speed. He's a 19 year old Indian from India, not from Native Americans, but India, a 19 year old from Missouri that had a Nazi flag in the back of his U-Haul. He bumped into the barrier and then apparently, according to Secret Service and law enforcement, made threatening statements to the president as well. I, this, My brain is having a hard time wrapping around this story, but this is all over the headlines today, all over the breaking news. This is the dumbest attempt at a distraction from the real issue of the day that I've ever seen in my entire life. I've never known... In Indian, and I could be wrong, obviously, there's takes all flavors around the world, and you can believe in whatever the hell you want to believe in, but I've never known of an Indian from Missouri that hails the Nazi flag as a conservative Donald Trump supporter who's threatening a Democrat, Joe Biden, for whatever purpose that he says. <laughs> I This is a desperate attempt, and I don't think they were supposed to release the name or the individual's nationality because the media was running with it all last night and this morning about how it was going to be some kind of right-wing nut job that was probably linked in with January 6th and obviously had the Nazi flag, so hated Joe Biden because they're against Nazis, even though that's exactly kind of what they are. But they they, they were you know the Nazi that hated the, the Democrats and uh, hated Joe Biden and hated the guy who's trying to get rid of segregation and all this other crap. And the narrative completely fell completely on its face because it was almost a half attempt, a distraction from the real issue of the day, which is what we're going to spend our time and focus on today. What's trending today? Because the narrative isn't sticking. Why is this not happening? The narrative isn't sticking with the ongoing budget issue and the debt ceiling that ends in just nine days from now in the middle of next week. I guess it's what, eight days now It'd be eight because it would be June 1st. I guess that would be nine days. It's Thursday. So, all right, nine days. We're away from the debt ceiling and the narrative of the fact that Republicans aren't willing to work in compromise is not sticking. The argument that Joe Biden is going to be a hard line and going to do what's best for the country and Republicans are cutting all your social programs. It's not sticking. So they have to create a distraction. And for the first time, this is a weird position that we're in right now. Let's be honest. We've never seen Republicans actually stay strong and hold strong for as long as they have. And I hope they stay that way. But that's why they need a distraction, because Republicans aren't backing down for the first time ever. This is like, I don't know, it's one of those where you enjoy it, but you're not sure how long this is going to last. This is like watching Lady Gaga rock out with Metallica at a at a music awards show. You're like, this is cool, but she's not a rocker. This is very foreign to us. This is kind of fascinating. Let's watch and see how this plays out. This is like Sunny Delight. Remember the drink for the kids, Sunny D, Sunny Delight? This is like Sunny D making an adult beverage, which, by the way, they have. They made a vodka seltzer, and it's, I hate to admit it, but it's honestly really good, and it tastes just like Sunny D. It's like that. You enjoy it, but you feel really weird enjoying it because you don't expect it to actually happen. The Republican Party holding their ground. In fact, according to the tweets that are social uh, circulating around social media, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy is ho- telling Republicans to hold their ground 
and have faith in him. I need you all to hang with me on the debt limit. We are nowhere near a deal yet. Hang with me. Hang tight. We're nowhere near a deal. But Joe Biden apparently starting to come around on on some type of government caps, some type of government spending cuts in some way, shape, or form. Progressives are losing their minds over this, and Republicans for the first time since I can remember as a millennial, a 34-year-old millennial on the radio, the first time I can ever remember them standing their ground and saying, no, we will not compromise everything to do what you tell us. And I think Democrats have misjudged Republicans this time. At least I'm hoping so, because they always thought that they would cave. We would play chicken. We would get down to it. We can't shut down the government because that would be very scary, and we would all die in the streets if we end up doing that. We're all going to die because of you! (laughs) And that's the message that they're spreading right now, but they're holding firm. In fact, uh, what's her name? Anna Paulina uh, Luna, the congresswoman from Florida, was on Newsmax earlier today talking about The message from Kevin McCarthy saying, hold tight, stand your ground, and let's continue to fight this battle. No, in fact, I think our speaker is negotiating from a position of power, Neil. And I want to remind people that Speaker McCarthy was the one that championed this $1.2 trillion in tax cuts for these benefits only benefiting Biden's wealthy elite. So I have faith in the speaker. I know that he and his negotiators have already told the White House to take a hike on 2023 spending levels. And so I just want to reiterate that we are united behind him. There is no talk about anything in regards to um, really going after him. I think that he's doing an incredible job and I think that he's going to secure a win for America. Boy, that audio from Newsmax, that is some tough talk from Anna Paulina Luna, the congresswoman from the state of Florida, which I guess would make sense because, I mean, according to the NAACP, the state of Florida has already been deemed a terrorist state for individuals of minority descent, right? (laughs) I mean, that's what we've been told. That's just a joke in itself right there. It's true. I mean, they really did come out. That's factual. They came out and made that statement. But the fact that she's a Hispanic woman living in Florida as an elected official obviously must not have a whole lot of tension towards the Hispanic population in Florida or something. I don't quite know. Another distraction of them coming out saying, we're going to say something really drastic and really stupid to get your mind off of the debt ceiling. Because again, the narrative's not sticking. The narrative's not working. The media is trying to blame Kevin McCarthy. In fact, they just asked him last week that when we default, will he take responsibility for that? No one's buying into it. Joe Biden's even willing to start to compromise and have the negotiation and have the talks. And the progressives are livid. In fact, they're the ones now that resort to when it doesn't get their way, when they don't get to do what they want to do. They either create the distraction, like we're seeing now, or they threaten the violence, which is what we saw from comments from the B-Squad. I think there would be a huge backlash from our entire uh, House Democratic you know, caucus, certainly the progressives, but also in the streets. You know, I mean, I think that this is, it's important that we don't take steps back from the very strong agenda that the president himself shepherded and led over the last two years. But if the president agrees to spending caps, or if he agrees to work requirements on certain social safety programs. It's going to be a problem. We do not legislate through the debt ceiling for this very reason. We do not legislate through the debt ceiling for this reason. That was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, one of our most favorite individuals here on this program, uh, saying we do not negotiate through the debt ceiling. We just need to raise it, period, end of story. And just like her counterpart said, that if we do end up cutting spending, it will affect the Social Security. Now, remember, Government, especially the Biden administration and the Democrats who are in charge right now, they get to decide what gets cut. They get to decide. 
Nobody else. They decide what actually gets cut. So they, like usual, love to find the most horrendous thing to cut into free spending on. So that I way it really- hurts people the worst. Uh, in that way, they can say, look at what Republicans have done here. But it's not working with the narrative right now. Anna Polina, Luna as well coming back and firing back on this threat. I want to be really clear with Americans from what I'm seeing and hearing. If there is a default, it is going to be going to be because Biden and Yellen chose to not pay the interest and the treasuries, meaning that they chose to actively not pay when we well have money to do so, in addition to paying for Medicare, Social Security and the military. So if Biden wants to end this, then he needs to call the Senate and tell the Senate to pass our budget. But I'm not going to sit here and coddle to the uh, or bend the knee to the Biden administration. Neil, they are basically pushing these crazy incentives that are only benefiting their wealthy elite. Meanwhile, normal Americans are completely getting screwed over by these terrible policies. And we're not going to negotiate with the future of this country. And that's our our children's uh, economy. Dude, standing strong. I usually don't do the call to action a whole lot on this program, but I highly encourage if you get the opportunity, if you get a minute to call Kevin McCarthy's office and call your elected official and thank them. Usually we don't get to do that very often. It feels very foreign saying that instead of saying, hey, don't do this or else, but thank them. Thank you for standing firm on this issue. I told you this is going to be the biggest issue, I think, of the next couple generations of the future of what this country looks like if we raise the debt ceiling again just willy-nilly like we have done so many times already spending at 130% of our GDP with how much we're in debt in this nation to take a firm stand, even though this won't solve all the issues, the fact that Republicans for the first time in my existence that I can remember are taking a hard stance firm, thank them for that because this is a very rare treat that we get to witness here. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program, 24 minutes past the hour. We have, for the first time, Republicans really standing strong and not backing down, saying we will not compromise on... I mean, obviously we'll compromise, but we're not going to back down on this one. Running the message, the narrative, we were out in front of this one, and God bless Kevin McCarthy. I never thought I would say that, but God bless Kevin McCarthy for this. He has been standing firm. He came out from the beginning, Mr. Nice Guy. We're going to find a deal. We're going to work together. We're going to compromise, find a hold, sing Kumbaya, hold hands together, and be able to move forward and find a compromise and solution for this. Saying, hold tight, Republicans. Have faith in me. We will make this happen. I told the president three things, according to the tweets that he said. No clear debt limit. No raising taxes. Uh, spend less money. Remember where we were. They refused to negotiate. We owe Garrett Graves and Patrick McHenry a round of applause. They made mistakes. Did not negotiate. Let's stay strong. McCarthy showing the video of the chronology on his uh, social media and other places of Democrats saying that they will not negotiate. He got out ahead of this before any other Democrat. He was able to call them out. You're not negotiating. You're not working with us. We're trying. Now, we can really go back and blame both parties for all the way back when and say, well, we shouldn't have gotten to this point in the first place. We shouldn't have passed the budget back in November, December in the holiday mode when uh, we knew that we weren't going to be able to afford this stuff. We can go all the way back then and we can blame the prior administrations and the prior makeup of Congress uh, totally. But in the point right now, handling this in the crises, 911, fast and furious mindset that we do in D.C., 
Kevin McCarthy has been on top of it as Mr. Nice Guy. Mr. Let's sit down and compromise and find a solution. And hey, where the hell are you at? Because we created a plan. What have you done to do anything here? He dominated the narrative. And no matter what the Democrats have tried to do, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. Media to Kevin McCarthy. What are you gonna are you gonna own this when it actually defaults and we can't pay our bills? No, we passed a bill. What are they doing? Well, you've never put stipulations on a spending increase before because we've never been this bad our entire life before. And when the narrative hasn't worked, they've tried the distraction, which is a guy bumped into the barrier, an insurrection, and attacking on the White House with a Nazi flag in the back from a guy from India that's 19 years old from the state of Missouri, obviously a Donald Trump supporter who's trying to attack Democrats with his Nazism and evil fascism. That's the headline today. Because it's not working. When all else fails, let's go ahead and do the threats because, my golly, we're going to take people to the streets because if you cut their Social Security and cut their social programs, man, it's over. It's done. I think there's a huge backlash from our entire uh, House Democratic you know, caucus, certainly the progressives, but also in the streets. You know, I mean, I think that this is... It's important that we don't take steps back from the very strong agenda that the president himself shepherded and led over the last two years. <laughs> Yeah, we shouldn't take a step back. He's worked so hard on this. Now, remember, they decide what they cut. They do that every time the government shuts down. They decide every time when there's a tightening of the budget, they decide what gets paid. And the debt, obviously, number one, which means they take money away from somewhere else. If they choose to freeze Social Security, that's because they chose to do that, not because there's not enough money to do that. Because there is. And we can do that. At the same time. There are some out there that are just questioning the fact that it's even coming up on the deadline for June 1st anyways, and it may just be a political point from Janet Yellen, who's trying to create the fear of politics, that fear-based mindset for Congress to act right now, because as the Treasury Secretary, who gets full reign to decide how the economy's doing, uh, based on raising interest rates, based on the spending, based on what they do, that we don't even know about, some Republicans are just questioning on whether that's even legitimate. I don't believe that the first of the month is a real deadline. Like, I, I don't understand why we're not making Janet Yellen show her work. She'll extend it, but right now she's using June 1st. Nobody, everybody knows that's false. That was audio from CNN that was shared off of Congressman Matt Gates. that first audio there of Matt Gates. I, I don't Why aren't we not making Janet Yellen show her work on where we're at really with the budget and what I'm still curious on what the quote-unquote extraordinary measures are. That they're taking to handle the budget right now to pay the debts. Those extraordinary, like, I don't know, cutting out some fluff and investments to actually pay our bills like we should be doing in the first place. What a concept. Extraordinary measures. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today on the home stretch here. Last half hour of the show, it flashed right on by. We need more time on the radio. How will we rectify that situation? Welcome back in. So we have the debt ceiling nine days away, according to Janet Yellen right now. Some Republicans, Matt Gates and others, are challenging that. Is it really nine days? You haven't shown our your work, but you haven't proven with transparency on what you're actually doing. I'm still curious what those quote-unquote extraordinary measures are that they're doing to pay the bills as of right now, which is billions left in the bank before we run out and we all die in the streets. We're all going to die because 
Oh, good golly. We'll get back to some of that conversation here in just a little bit. But I want to shift gears just a bit to talk about kind of the political landscape right now, which is a fun one. What's trending today? For sure, especially after the story that we saw today, the distraction from the mainstream media regarding this U-Haul at the White House bumping it. I mean, just ramming into the barriers. They were destroying it. They tried to get through the yard of the White House and attack the president of the United States. No, no. They rolled and bumped into it with a Nazi flag just nicely laid out and ironed in the back of the U-Haul. And now, uh, until they found out the name of the individual, that it was going to be a January 6th the connection, it was going to be a radical MAGA, most uh, the biggest threat to democracy, the biggest terrorist, domestic terrorist uh, organization in American history, the MAGA Republican movement. Is that where we're at, and is that the political landscape that we see today? On the phone with us to talk about that and so much more. Really happy to have her back on. It's been too long since we've had her on the program. Hailing from the terrorist state of Florida, apparently, Annalisa Pesic. Annalisa, how are you today? Hi, Andy. I'm well, and it's uh, bright and beautiful here in sunny Clearwater, Florida, and I <laughs> don't see any machine guns or any Confederate flags blowing in the wind, so I think... <laughs> It's safe to travel if you like the sun and the surf and all the things that Florida has to offer, including our favorite governor, Ron DeSantis. That's right. Can you imagine? I have never, first off, I've never heard of a travel warning from the NAACP before. I've never heard them say, you know, don't go to a certain place because it may be a threat, but especially a place like Florida and be like, you are literally a threat. You are threatened if you go to Florida because of all the terrorists that are just running around there. Well, it just goes to show we can't trust the NAACP any more than we can trust the CDC. They're pushing a narrative that they want to push, and they're, they'll stop at nothing. And it's going back to kind of what your intro was about with the January 6th and this U-Haul that's run into the White House. And I, I just saw that story come across um, earlier today, but I haven't gotten into it too much. But, um, you know, it's it's the narrative pushing, just like they were going to push the insurrection narrative. They're going to push that black Americans aren't wanted in a state where people are still exercising their freedoms, are still able to feel safe in a, in a place where they can still carry a, a weapon and defend their families. And that is not okay, right? So we need to come up with a narrative as outlandish as black Americans aren't welcome in Florida. If I walk down the street and I see black Americans all around me, nobody is nobody is saying a word about, you know, not feeling welcome. I mean, it's just not happening on the ground. So whatever the media is pushing, we always have to take a second look, right? We do. I really think, honestly, with the stories that have come out today between the, the <laughs> state of Florida being considered a terrorist state and black people shouldn't go there, members of the LGBT community shouldn't go down to Florida, <laughs> then you hear about this U-Haul, which, again, the, the so the story was that they – they said it ran into the barrier of the White House. It didn't run into the barrier. They were coasting and bumped into it. And while the media had a heyday with it last night and this morning, saying that it was probably a conservative, a MAGA individual tied to the January 6th stuff, because obviously there's a Nazi flag, so obviously we need to put the two together. It's a 19-year-old Saeed Varsith Kendula, an Indian uh, from India, out of Chesterfield, Missouri, a 19-year-old who apparently made numerous different threats to the president of the United States after he was arrested. To me, this is nothing more than a massive distraction 
of the real issue going on that is the debt ceiling and the fact that Democrats dropped the ball, they refused to negotiate, and then the the narrative of Republicans aren't working with them isn't sticking because Kevin McCarthy was on top of this entire thing. So with them looking bad with only nine days left and now probably having to compromise their values, they have to create a distraction for the media to cover of a guy ramming into the barriers of the White House and then how Florida is somehow some crazy terrorist state and minorities shouldn't feel safe there in any way, shape, or form. That's a desperate attempt of attention right now, I think, isn't it? It is. And why are they not coming out with the headlines of the race of this person and who this person really is? Why is it a national, why does he have nationalistic ties or Nazi ties or whatever they're saying? I honestly have to look at that story more closely, but it's just representative of what the media has been doing for a long, long time now, right? I mean, if we go back and we look at how the January 6th insurrection, quote unquote, insurrection narrative was planted. And then it began to kind of fizzle out. If you remember with the January 6th committee hearings that were basically prime time, you know, televised during prime time and people would sit down and watch it as if it was entertainment. And those testimonies were not carrying any weight. Um, even with that, what was her name? Cassidy, the, the, the bombshell testimony, Cassidy Hutchinson, that was supposed to like be a turning point that kind of fizzled out. And so I think what has happened, especially if we look at these January six defendants, if we go back and we look at first the oath keepers that were convicted, and now we have six, uh, we have six oath keepers that were convicted of seditious conspiracy and now four proud boys convicted of seditious conspiracy. It solidifies this, quote-unquote, insurrection narrative, right, that now they can run with even more and say that this this all leads back to Trump. Yeah. And I think it's a way for them to get Trump again, again, and again, trying to get him. Um, but it certainly lays that frame, framework um, with these convictions, which are, it, it's huge. I mean, I don't know if people have seen the news recently today, but there was um, Thomas Caldwell. He was the 70-year-old disabled vet who was uh, found, who was convicted of obstruction of property and tampering with the evidence. And he never entered the Capitol, but he was to be sentenced, I believe, on the 22nd, but they they vacated that sentencing because they're going to look at an appeal. Um, and that that is that's good news. That's promising. But it didn't happen for the the four Proud Boys who were recently convicted. And I don't know how deep we want to go in the weeds of that trial, but it's very interesting how that trial was run and the jury choices and looking at the bias, the, the bias on the jury, um, which was interestingly called out in the Durham report. I, if, if you, I don't know how much you've looked at that, but the Durham report specifically talks about, you know, the, the inherent bias of jury and how that can hinder um, a, a prosecution, right? Or that can it can determine the acquittal or conviction. And in this case, in the January 6th case, I think we're seeing a lot of these defendants being convicted based on uh, lack of, not, not, not objectively looking at the evidence, but a, a, a bias, a, a jury that has certain leanings and they are, tending to be liberal, at least the conservative ones aren't being 
um, you know, revealed or mentioned. Yeah, that is very true. We're talking with Annalisha Peshik uh, with The New American, thenewamerican.com. Uh, let's go down that road for just a second with uh, the, the Proud Boys of January 6th. I mean, it, it was weird. The decision to uh, come down on them was about the same time where the shaman was released from jail uh, about that same time as well. So how much were the Proud Boys actually involved in this whole quote-unquote insurrection that happened on January 6th? And you're right, the fact that now they are they have more arson to use and say, look at all the insurrectionists that happened, all the conservative MAGA crowd, yada, yada. How much were they actually involved in this entire thing? Well, you don't get a clear answer unless you're sitting in the courtroom taking notes and really dissecting verbatim what what was what was said during those proceedings if you are reading the news that the media is feeding you you know that okay four proud boy members Enrique Terrio, Ethan Nordine, Joseph Biggs and Zachary Rell and I'm probably mispronouncing their names I apologize were convicted of conspiracy or seditious conspiracy conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding and I believe four other uh, felony charges and this happened over the, you know, a four-month trial. And basically, if you look at how the jury deliberated, it, it, there was a very interesting interview with a specific juror that Vice News did, the bankrupt Vice News, that leftist rag, like we never read that. But they did manage to get an interview with this specific juror who, who said that the prosecutors presented Trump's tweets Okay, two of his tweets from the day on January 6th as like an undercurrent to the case. Even the juror admitted that, yes, Trump was kind of this undercurrent, that he invoked the Proud Boys to, you know, get in their riot gear and and storm the Capitol. Well, that's not what the evidence shows. The, the, The Proud Boys were actually convicted of smashing, I believe, one fence outside. They destroyed like one fence outside of the Capitol building. And one of, and then another uh, Proud Boy who wasn't convicted, or former Proud Boy, um, who Dominic Pizzola, he was found guilty on no, on numerous felony charges, but not the seditious conspiracy charge. But he basically smashed a window. Uh, in the Capitol, and he—that was his crime, and also, um, you know, picking up a shield that a police officer uh, dropped, or he was trying to protect himself from some yeah. uh, flying what, that, sting balls. Yeah, Annalisa, hold that thought. We got to take a hard break here, real quick, but I want to continue this when we come back. Um, the indictments, this punishment coming into these Proud Boys, the new arson for the left, but it's not gaining a lot of traction for the mainstream media, and that's the interesting piece of this we'll do when we come back here on The Voice Reason for a Tuesday. Stay right here. With Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Well, I tell you what, I love the lovey-dovey, go-along, get-along Democrat activists that are on the other side of the aisle, don't you? I mean, they are the most tolerant people on the face of the earth. They never lose their cool. They are always about justice and loving everybody. According to latest headline from Breitbart News right now, Hollywood star and rich Democrat activist and major donor Ellen Barkin. I have no clue who that is. I've never heard of her in my life before. 
sent out a tweet regarding Republicans and the debt ceiling conversations that's very uh, lewd and obnoxious, saying, I hate these um, Republicans, every last one of them, them one and all. Wow. I mean, they're just loving, just absolutely loving, once and for all. Annalisa, what do you think? I mean, they're just, they are about tolerance. They are about acceptance and having the best ideas, coming together and finding solutions with everyone. Yeah, they're the kind of people you <laughs> want to invite to lunch and have over for dinner and have a good old debate with, right? Because yeah. they, they're so into debating or talking about anything. They're just all all about their feelings, and they can they can spew them all they want. And we say... If the right says anything bad about anything, it's racist, bigot, and then we just clam up and, you know, go back to our corner. Wow. It's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. Well, especially, I mean, now that, I mean, obviously, uh, Ron DeSantis being the governor of Florida where you're at, he uh, has created all these laws to create a terrorist state in the state of Florida, and he's set to make his announcement for president of the United States tomorrow on the Tweety with Elon Musk during the conversation, apparently, uh, law lumped up onto the social media, trying to get a big boost with his presence on there. Real quickly, I mean, I know you live in Florida. What's the feel down there from activists and political, politically minded individuals? Are they excited about Ron DeSantis jumping in, or is this a kind of a hey, um, we got some stuff we got to work out here in Florida first? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think people are more tempered here in voicing their political opinions in general and coming from the state of Washington, where deep, deep blue and liberal to the furthest degree, um, people are, are very more, are a lot more vocal. But I think that in the, where I am, everybody loves DeSantis. And if they don't, they, they don't like a couple of his policies. I mean, he's saving lives. He's, um, you know, for school choice. He's made some huge inroads in um, as far as like uh, the abortion issue goes, and he's doing good things for the state and for schools. And I think people, for the most part, are happy about that. I think they like the way the state is is going. And as you saw, as we saw at the midterms, it was uh, hands down, you know, a, a red wave. Right? People were not voting um, Democrat; they were sticking to Republican and. So yeah, he was I one of the first that, ones called, I think, for his race, wasn't he? Oh, I who was he running against? I don't even that remember. Chris, but Chris guy. Yeah, um, they called it with Charlie like three percent in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole state was called almost. You know, by eight o'clock, we knew what the results were here. <laughs> um, didn't take weeks. So there's another. There's another good thing, and I do. Th I do think people want him to stay governor. I'm not sure that him running for president, as we spoke earlier about this, I'm not sure it's the best move. I think he has time. I think he could wait and 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 right now let uh, let Trump win that nomination and see where that goes. Um, I'm not sure that we need him in the race at this time, and that's my personal opinion. Um, I also think that him and Trump could make a great ticket, and I know that that's maybe not a popular view, but 
Um, maybe it's one we all hope for. Yeah, I think a lot of people would like that ticket. I just don't think Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis like that ticket. But <laughs> if they could get past that, everybody else would love it within the Republican Party. I think that would unite a lot of individuals, which is kind of funny. And at least we got just about 30, 45 seconds here. But uh, wrapping up this conversation, January 6th, the Proud Boys, obviously the media, the Democrats are going to use this platform to go after Trump if he does get the nomination for president again. How successful do you think that's going to be in about 30 seconds? Yeah, well, just to look at the media and who has covered this so, um, you know, scantily or uh, meticulously. And I want to do a shout out to Julie Kelly from American Greatness. She has covered the January 6th defendant trials like no other. And I do look to her for guidance. And her um, opinion is that there will be an indictment coming down on Trump. She's not sure if it's going to be for seditious conspiracy, doesn't think that they can get him on that. Yeah. But that there will be some kind of indictment and, um, I, you know, we'll just have to see. But I think that's what they're paving the way for with these convictions of the Proud Boys and previously the Oath Keepers. Setting up and the stage for it. Yeah, setting up the stage. Yep. It's going to be interesting to see for sure. Annalisa, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. It's been way too long. Let's get you back on again here real soon. Yes, thank you, Andy. Always a pleasure. There it is. Podcast up in a little bit. Back at it again tomorrow for a Wednesday. Until then, this is The Voice of Reason.